know we've been a bit delayed arriving, but thank you all very much, and I know that it's been a productive day. Um, and I want to... or it's not. Democrats were shuddering privately just a few days ago about how big the margin was going to be. Republicans were predicting a red wave, but they may end up with the same slim majority Democrats have had for the last two years. We are going to take the House back. But we've got so much more to do, and I have only begun to fight. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve Welcome back. Good Tuesday to all of you this Thanksgiving week, and welcome to the Ruthless Variety Program, fellas. Good to be back. Good to be back, indeed. The hardest working uh, people in politics. We just spent the weekend in Las Vegas. Yeah, but it's not all, well, it's not like, in, by any stretch of imagination, a vacation. No, no, it wasn't, although we had fun. We did have fun. Uh, we were at the Republican Jewish Coalition's annual event, which I got to tell you, uh, it's basically become the kickoff to the presidential election. It really was. I mean, it was 100% exactly that. Um, I start by thanking Matt Brooks, who's mm-hmm. the executive director, and Norm Coleman, who's just a, what a great guy, uh, for inviting us. Uh, they put us in pretty good placement, didn't they, fellas? Yeah, That's we're right. between Benjamin Netanyahu and Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> this is an amazing. That's an incredible lineup. Amazing. We got the schedule. We were like, wow. Uh, thank you. I guess. Yeah. Uh, the the little program. No pressure. <laughs> the little program that could all of a sudden uh, set an important pot spot to entertain. But but basically, what it was for those of you who didn't follow it, it's bas- it's a tryout, mm-hmm. right? They invite all the big names in politics, many or most of whom will run for president, and you get 15, 20, 25 minutes to sit in front of. An incredibly important crowd full of patriotic people who are just super enthusiastic mm-hmm. about the Republican Party. They've done everything they can possibly do and more for, for 2022, and then we'll do more for 2024. These people are invested. Yep. Like, they, they are very, very excited about the prospect. And I thought it was, like, sort of cathartic in some ways as you come off of the disappointment of 2022 to see... Thousands of people super engaged about turning the page. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But also, I mean, kind of similar to what we've been talking about on the on the program, it's sort of a continuation of this conversation of like, what do we do next? Yep. Right? It's sort of this opening salvo for a lot of these people who are going to be running for president saying, you know, we need to turn the page on Donald Trump or we need to do this, or we need to do that. I think it's a good therapy session. And everybody has a different take on it, right? I mean... When- and, and you get to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. I mean, that's the thing. Is the lineup that they have is incredible. Incredible. You, you, you have... You had DeSantis there. Tim Scott spoke. Kevin McCarthy spoke. President Trump spoke. Bibi Netanyahu spoke. Sadly, he's not going to be right for president. But I mean, you know, like, every single person who in any way has any sort of whisper about running. Chris Christie spoke. Uh, Nikki Haley spoke. Like, anyone who... Pretty much every single person who could be considered as running or considering running for 2024 spoke there. And it's also, it's a pretty good tryout, not just because you get to hear from them and hear their pitch and whatnot, but it it also, I have found, and I know I'm not always right about these things, but I've found that going into a presidential election cycle, that the candidates who have reformulated sort of their views on where we ought to take this country in an authentic way that are basically not just piggybacking on where you think 51 Mm percent of the public is based upon the the political movements of leaders behind them Mm -hmm. right but they've they've actually just sat and thought about what's my pitch what is what is it that i'm going to say here a couple of weeks removed from a disappointing election to try to move this country forward so you got a lot of candor right absolutely and you know one thing i did notice is um so when so so we go on right before president trump and uh we're back in the green room as president trump is speaking and that crowd i mean the 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 applause was thunderous he got a standing ovation um i know desantis uh uh spoke after uh, he he spoke at night he got a standing ovation as well 
I, I think it was telling. So one of the things that we did, we're, you know, look, we're kind of a, a side act. We're obviously not running for president. Yeah. We're here to sing and dance and entertain, as right. we will. But uh, Smug, you decided, because they don't have like a formal straw poll at this thing. Might as well start one. To get one, to yeah. just start one. I didn't know what the organizers thought about this, but it was a great idea. And you basically asked for a round of applause for the for the candidates and who they support at this point. Yep. So so uh, it's like you know spur of the moment. Uh, you know the 2024 discussion uh, is of course thick in the air. Uh, we start talking about it, and I, I said, listen, we have a crowd of these people, who are like you know the grassroots, the activists, the folks who are involved in in, in the movement. Uh, I said, round of applause if you support President Trump for 2024, and you get applause. Round of applause if you support DeSantis for 2024. Well, let me, let me pause you on that. Yeah. Because that was a big surprise. I mean, I, I uh, have spent an inordinate amount of time out and around the country here in, in 2022 and kind of saw this coming because there were elements of grassroots rallies throughout this country where DeSantis was the name was an immediate applause line, right? Figure these people are, you know, everybody's pretty plugged in or whatever. But when you get to the context of 2024, I was interested to hear how that translated. Yeah. Right. Clearly you did. You asked, and it was like thunder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a uh, lot of applause for DeSantis. And then uh, icing on the cake, I said, okay, what about Rick Scott? And then, like, you know, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Weigel. Weigel tweets out, he's like, pin drop. Pin drop. <laughs> I guess the, the point, and we didn't belabor the point. We didn't go through every single candidate. But the point was is that you got contenders and pretenders right. here, right? And if you want to go from a pretender to a contender, you better authenticate. You better come up with something that is actually meaningful to the grassroots with a resume behind it yeah, and a pitch to be a serious And a backing, because the thing is that, like, uh, if you don't have folks supporting you, if you don't have a movement with you, yeah. then why run? Why are you running? Because it's the stakes are too big here. We can't lose. The country cannot afford to have republicans lose the That's 2024 the election because there's nothing more that joe biden needs because he's an, i mean i can't even think he's a capable human let alone as a president but there's nothing he would love more than to sit back and have like 18 months of republicans shredding each other right and i mean like all right i mean you're gonna get some of that but the but the point is Oh, I think it should absolutely be like King of the Hill. Well, yeah, and that's part, winner will conquer. That's part of the process. But like, we don't yeah. need like fourteen people who are each pulling at point zero one percent. Exactly. No. Exactly. No, but you do need some controversy because I think whoever eventually is the Republican nominee benefits from that, yeah. right? Like, you can't actually have a process where someone's anointed. No, we totally agree. Not at you all. know, you, not at all. you saw how that worked out for old Hillary Clinton. It doesn't work. Doesn't. It's just like I don't see the point of like a John Kasich. Who's like, okay, dude, like, other no. than just being a binge-eating champion, like, you clearly offer nothing except causing trouble and trying to be a mouthpiece for Democrats, being like, oh, well, actually, conservatives <sighs> are terrible. Like, we don't need that shit. We don't need that. But I thought it was... So I always internalize this, having, you know, sort of watched these things play out ever since the Bush years. It, you've got to have a Republican that's got a clear view that's an authentic view that's a little bit different than everything that you've been dealing with up to this point, right? Because presidential primaries on the Republican side are famously forward-looking. Yep. Famously yep. forward-looking, right? I mean, even George H.W. Bush in 88, he didn't run just as Reagan's vice president, although he could have because, you know, a hell of a record and conservatives loved it. Yeah. But he didn't. It was it a was totally forward-looking view, and I look at all the candidates that have been good candidates that have failed over the years, and many of them stood on the stage in 2016 with Donald Trump, but they're all sort of trying to repackage the Tea Party pitch of 2010, which was successful in 12, 14, and 16. Mm -hmm. But there was a, there's, a, there's a shelf life for some of that, right. right? So if you look at the people who run up and they're like, okay, what I'm looking for is the poll-tested applause line that I know works. Yeah. Right. So they like retrofit their message into some variation of an America first Donald Trump deal. Uh huh. And I, I found that it was like, uh, you're trying to couch yourself. Like, why would anyone vote for Diet Coke if they can have the real thing? Exactly. You, know I mean? you have a candidate. You have, if, if that's your thing, you got Donald Trump. Yeah. You got yeah. the real deal. But if there, if you want a, another take on how you get to the top of the mountain here, 
you got to formulate that. And that's where I found some of these pitches very interesting. I mean, DeSantis sort of steals the show because he has a very different pitch. And it sounds different. It feels different. And there's a lot of energy behind it. But I thought there were other candidates in there, too. So, so we, we were on our way back home, I guess, when DeSantis was speaking. Have you guys read anything about that? Yeah. I, 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 have, I have zero idea what he said. No, oh, it was. I mean, I look, heard he I, got I a lot of applause. It. Yeah, no, I, I, I watched it. I watched a replay of it, um, and it's much like you know what you've seen from him on the stump at you know election day victories. We yeah. all saw. I him. mean, that was spiking the football. It, it, I mean, he, he used again. I've only just begun to fight. I mean, that seems like right. his sort of tagline, which implies that there is more to come, right? And a two-term governor, you know what that implies. Right. It implies that, that there could be a national campaign coming, which I, I think is probably obvious to many of us. But but there's something real there, right? And I also thought, I mean, look, Chris Christie gets up and just hammers away with total, his a total authentic take. Now, you could agree with it or you don't agree with it. What I respect more than anything in the world is somebody who's willing to go up to a crowd without any idea of where the tested applause lines are and tell them exactly what it is that you think. That's a yeah. rare thing. It's a rare thing. Yeah. I love that stuff. I really love that stuff. It's not like all sort of manufactured and it, he just gives you, he shoots from the hip and he got a, I mean, he got a standing up, right? Not everybody did. Mm-hmm. Not everybody did. Yeah. You know, you had Teddy ball game up there, Ted Cruz doing his thing. It sounded very much like it did in 16, it's sort of an anti-establishment thing. I like, look, I like Ted. I respect Ted. I love that uh, what he does in the Senate and all of that stuff. I'm just not sure it's different enough at this point. Well, I think all of this is going to be determined by Donald Trump. I, I think people underappreciate the fact that, like, he can suck the oxygen out of any single room. Yeah. And, you know, if you go back to his announcement a couple of weeks ago, I think it's quite clear the way he wants to frame the 2024 election is a contrast between his presidency and that of Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. And I think what he sees in the strategy there is, you know, elevating himself above the other contenders and saying, like, look, I did the job. Yep. Here's the record of what I did as president. And here's what we have right now. And here's the thing. That is an incredibly, it's compelling. incredibly compelling message. It's a compelling, it's a because compelling like, message. Because, like, the best economy in my lifetime that I can ever recall is under President Trump. I mean, we were just skyrocketing every year year after year it was record numbers of americans getting employed of 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 wage growth of uh you know you saw uh net uh, net income of americans growing at faster pace than any any other time in history but, but the, i think it's a double-edged sword for trump because back to your point holmes is all of these elections for president are looking forward yeah not looking back and there's a there's a trap there for Trump where he starts to sound whiny that things were unfair to him. Yeah. And I just I think it's just going to hit totally different than when he was coming down the gold escalator in 2015. It, it, it is different. But I've also noticed that Trump, both in his remarks to RJC and in his announcement last week, never mentioned stop the steal. Yeah. It's interesting. Right? He doesn't even mention abortion. There's there was a point in which at the RJC speech speech where he referenced an issue that really cut against us he yeah. didn't even say the issue no no but stop the steal and abortion he clearly sees as ones that he doesn't want to you know have in his campaign but i thought it was so interesting because you if, if you consider the fact that much of his support is base of support which is rock solid right i mean yes. he's clearly got a a substantial That's what I'm about, like if, if you don't have an army with you yeah Get out. He's got an army. He does. But much of them have been conditioned to view the last two and a half years as a referendum on whether or not you believe the 2020 election was stolen. Yeah. And yet Trump himself now sees that as a liability, at least to the point where it's not in his remarks on his announcement and it's not in the first presidential sort of addressed to, to a big group. That's fascinating, which, right? Which is wild. Because, it's wild. Be, because Donald Trump made candidates across the country essentially walk the plank on that issue Yeah, to their own detriment. 
Yeah. And, I, and I think the reason, I mean that's the reality of 2022. Folks. That's the reality. I and, mean, you remember the the story about uh, in Arizona where he right. was talking about how Blake Masters he thought had gotten a little soft on a stop to steal answer, yeah. and so he called him directly and said, "You're going to lose the support of our people if you if you don't say the the election was stolen." Uh huh. And then you know. Whoa. And now suddenly he's running for president and he's not going to talk about it. Not going to talk about which it. I, which I, which which I think is a, a good decision. I'm just saying, kind of funny you made everyone walk the plank <laughs> yeah, on it. Right. And that's the thing is, I think you see the data from from the midterms is, you know, if you're running on elections can get stolen, <coughs> then people say, okay, so there's no reason to vote. We won't vote. So we saw that for sure. Right. We saw people who were very hesitant to vote by mail, who were very hesitant to vote early. And I think seeing that data... Uh, the smart play, and, and President Trump is doing it, is to be like, well, I if I'm on the ballot, I absolutely am not going to tell people well, don't uh, vote. Also, just think about it pragmatically. If he's standing on the stage with Ron DeSantis and Glenn Youngkin, who are like, okay, but we just won huge elections. Yeah. So I think that's the issue. Right? That? I like, think it's th- not going to work for Trump. I think that's the issue is he's actually knows that he's going up against Republicans who've had a winning record right. in this time period where Republicans have had an historically losing record right right i mean we lost the house in 18 we lost the senate in 20 uh 2022 no matter how you cut it is an underperformance regardless if we got a a house majority many people are throwing that back into the sort of the preconditions that trump gave a lot of these primary candidates that became general electorate but by by the way you got people like Ron DeSantis and Glenn Youngkin who charted their own path and did something different, but had the same core message as all of those other Republicans. Right. Right. The economy, crime, border, schools, schools, things like that. And they did spectacularly. So, I mean, look, this is fascinating stuff to try to break down it because it, it goes far beyond sort of your, your New York Times knockdown of like, oh, this person said this, this person said that. I mean, why? Why did they say this and why did they say that? And if you look at Trump's remarks in particular, it's it uh, to me a, a total insight into how that organization is recalibrating for 2020. I just think it's so important. Like there's been so much talk here on our show and a lot of shows, I'm sure, and in the media about what went right, what went wrong. And, all. and I just I have a lot of faith in the voters figuring it out that I think you know, I tweeted this, but I think the best autopsy of 2022 will be the 2024 Republican presidential primary. Yeah, it's how mm. people how people react to all these different messages. But again, it kind of goes back to my point is that you've got to have something authentic, real and new. Absolutely. And Trump's trying that. Yeah. DeSantis clearly has it. Glenn Youngkin's clearly doing his his thing like that. But I, I was surprised to hear the Pompeo's and the Nikki Haley's and, and the Tim Scott Tim Scott's yeah. and I, with something brand new. Yeah. Right. They were all bringing something brand new. Right. Um, and then you heard like the Rick Scott, you know, and that kind of thing where it was like, oh, I'm fighting the man. I'm, you know, I'm the consummate victim and underdog and, right. you know, fighting the establishment or whatever. I just feel like after you lose multiple elections in a row, do you really want to hear about somebody who's like not getting it done? And there's all these people to blame I, I, for it. I think the applause spoke from for itself. Yeah, I think it probably did. Anyway, we were super excited to be a part of it. I mean, fellas, this was this was a great event. And I think a big testimony to the program that we were involved at all, let alone in the middle of the lineup that we were. I mean, it was like a murderer's row of awesomeness. And then right in the middle of it, you throw yeah, in the yeah. roots. Right between baby and Trump, that was wild. But it makes me really hopeful that like, you know, on this show, for our listeners, we're going to be able to walk you through this entire primary and it's going to be fascinating i think it's going to be fascinating i'm excited to cover it and didn't you, did you lose all your money smug i did not I, I i left vegas up dude i i i lost a ton because mcdaniel is the cooler yeah so our producer matt mcdaniel yeah absolute cooler, the ultimate cooler he's and like I, the grim reaper of gambling i can't stress enough it is like uncannily weird where like if he walks by the table that you're playing at it goes cold everything goes cold you're gonna lose money like i i told him uh, like he texted me while I'm at the at the craps field because craps is my game. I love craps. Yeah, you're Great a good craps guy. Love craps. Yeah. He texted me. He's like, oh, I, I'm thinking about coming by. I said, no. Please, please don't. don't. Please don't. Don't don't come anywhere near here. Like anytime he came by, it was like you could set your watch to it. Someone's gonna throw a seven. Everybody's gonna lose their money. It's horrible. While he was standing by the the blackjack table, I sat down and for half an hour, I don't think the dealer got anything under a twenty. Yeah. 
with yeah. with Governor Christie and and his yeah. wife Mary Pat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the Sh- way, shout out to her, Mary Pat, one of the most spectacularly great women I've met in a long time. And God, a good she's black tech advisor. She gave me solid advice. Yeah, she knows what she's doing. She does what she's doing. But that was that was obviously we fun despite the fact we lost uh, all of our money at it. It was very very fun. But then you know your point about McDaniel being the cooler. That's I mean, the thing is, he was watching. He walks by the table. It's like a meat locker. Suddenly, he can see your breath. Yeah, and it's like, oh it's my insane. god, I'm gonna lose everything. All my money. Goes cold. So, so we get on the plane, and I'm like, you know what? I'm super excited. I'm gonna get on this plane, and I've got four hours of Viking football in a big oh, game man. against yeah. the Cowboys. I got it queued up. I'm sitting there. I'm watching it. Next thing I know, it's three three. Yeah, I'm sitting in my seat. Who sits next to me? It's McDaniel. McDaniel. It's McDaniel. Oh, no. McDaniel. 37 straight points later. Oh, no. I look over at him. I'm like, I'd like to throw you out this window. Yeah. It's the worst game of the season for like Justin Jefferson, for Kirk Cousins. For everyone. I, I mean, it like didn't not make sense. I looked over at him and he knew exactly what yeah. I was thinking. He was like, he just shook his head. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, so how about the Bird app, guys? A lot of Elon Musk making a lot of news. You've noticed, gosh, it's just so, it's so exhausting. That somehow the mainstream media has become the greatest defender of the First Amendment it's uh, in, in, in the planet. And of course, like, you know, you had CBS News over the weekend saying they were going to take a pause from Twitter to evaluate how the safety of, right. of the platform. And it's like, dude, nothing changed, you idiot. Right. And it didn't even last like when it was it 20 hours or 40 hours or something. They're like, they're like, all right, we're, we're back. back. Uh, I do love it when the news tries to become the news. Yeah. Oh, it's the best. You know, it's, it's just really incredible impressive naval gazing but like who's your constituency if you're over at cbs news and you're making these calls it's other reporters on twitter that's what it is that's right? the funniest part about the whole thing is the only people who would care about you pausing on a platform are the people who use the platform and you know that there was other newsroom conversations be like well cbs pause should we pause yeah oh yeah oh. should we pause maybe we should pause they are the most self-obsessed group like it's unbelievable the yeah. way that these people operate and like they think that anyone is actually going to join mastodon because they, oh yeah, so Mastodon is explain this for a minute because nobody I guarantee listening to this program knows what the hell that is. So so Mastodon is kind of like a joke of a social network. I remember so I it, when when it launched I want to say like five years ago it, it was like a meme joke of like signing up for an account on Mastodon. So I have my account on Mastodon from like five or seven years ago. Where it was like a joke where like you know a bunch of buddies in finance would be like, oh wow. You know, Mastodon's going to be the next big thing. So you go over there. I mean, first thing, it, it looks terrible. You know, it's like l- the most bootleg version of Twitter possible, right? <laughs> like very basic functionality. But what's hilarious and what's become of it now is you've got these journals who are being like, oh, my gosh, Twitter is doomed. We're all going to go to Mastodon. And I guess you can have your own community it's rules. It's basically like a super woke Twitter, and, right? And like if you thought Twitter was like woke before, like this is next level. Like communities can set their like individual guidelines. And the one that all the journals are on is like you cannot post anything that could be in any way considered right wing. Or offensive. Yeah. Offen- and quote unquote offensive. And and so like what's hilarious is like over the past weekend, you had journals going after each other <laughs> on Mastodon for not being woke enough. Hell yeah. And I was like, this is it. Like. Thank you so much, Elon. Like, Thank you. You've created this like you know uh, battle dome of where all these woke idiots now have to go after each other. Well, my favorite thing I saw from over the weekend was this like woke journo CRT yes, I know what you're CRT about. person like posted something on Mastodon about white privilege or whatever, and it got flagged for racism. Yeah. <laughs> It's like this this They're ideology like, you're, you're, you're is violating CRT itself. Enough. Yeah, yeah. You're not CRT enough. Hell yeah. So amongst the backdrop of this like hand wringing crybaby bullshit, uh, Elon decides to reinstate Trump. Yeah, by like, poll, by poll, and, and 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 like Duncan points out to me, there were like over 15 million votes. Yeah, cast. yeah. He just puts up a poll, says, "Should we reinstate Donald Trump? Vote yes, no." Oh, amazing, incredible. Like the, like you know whatever your opinion of Elon Musk is. The guy understands that the platform is about engagement. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you can juice the engagement on the platform, good for you. You own the thing. Yeah, exactly. So so they had like all-time record engagement. Right. 15 million votes. This. I mean, that's and, the time. And, and the majority go for, yes, reinstate former President Trump. And uh, I mean, it's amazing. Like any time there's no ballot harvesting, Trump wins every time. Like, isn't that <laughs> so? He's back up. Uh, well, he's look. But the biggest question is: Will he tweet? Will he tweet? Because he started Truth Social. Yeah. You know, and we've had people on to talk about Truth Social here on the program. 
it's supposed to be basically the other side of mast mastodon twitter and then the right side of it is is truth social obviously nothing has the, the participation that twitter does yeah. yeah right and so elon then starts baiting trump with all these memes about like you know he wants to yeah yeah basically you know he wants to tweet but so far no tweets well, that's the thing. I mean, like the reason why Twitter, in my opinion, will always succeed over ideological platforms. It's like, who wants to play ping pong with themselves? Right. N- no one. No one. Right. You need an opponent. Mm-hmm. You need a Thunderdome. Yep. Twitter is our Thunderdome. That's exactly it. And it is cool. I think it's really cool that the journos are migrating to a platform named after an extinct animal. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, w- I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be looking to journos for investment that's advice. That's like all I'm saying. The age of them being able to control all narratives has come to an end. Yeah. And it's driving them wild. It's totally nuts, but it's also exposed the, the complete hypocrisy that Twitter's previous leadership had with having like the Ayatollah Khomeini and yep. Iran yeah. on there, but not the former president president of the United States, right? So they just reinstate all these people, which, by the way, are not just conservatives. Like Kathy Griffin got the the, the absolute idiot left-wing psychopath actress who, you know, 20 years used to actually be in some things. Right. uh, Was banned when she had, like, she 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 held the the Trump head. The decapitated head. Yeah, Yeah. right, which is a totally tasteless deal. (laughs) But it got her banned from Twitter. She's back on. Yeah. She's back on. But then you have people like Jordan Peterson. The big one for me, Babylon B. Yeah. That was huge. Back in action. So good to see that. And you know what? I, I appreciate those guys. The commitment that like Seth Dillon, who's been on the program, mm-hmm. uh, and those guys had to just like sticking to their deal and not caving at all. But then, you know, a year and a half after being banned, coming back with this like massive following that's even bigger than the one that they left with. Yeah. Good for them. So so quick flash poll. What do you guys think? Do you think Trump tweets again? He's running for president. He needs every megaphone he can get. Do you think he does it? I mean, I think it would be a mistake for him not to for a couple of reasons. For one, I think a a big critique that uh, people conservative side have had of Trump is whether he prioritizes his own stuff whether he prioritizes his own buildings, his own investments, his own whatever, over sort of the larger conservative community, and whether he's like inherently sort of selfish with that. By not doing it, you feel like at some level it validates that criticism, right? Because he's invested, he obviously owns Truth Social. social. Yeah. And so, you know, like that's a self-evident deal. The second of it... There's never been a more prolific tweeter in the history of this country. He's the all-time great. He's the all-timer. No one's better at Twitter than him. No one's better. And it's not even close, right? And so... This like, is like Jordan retirement. He, 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 he left the game while still in his prime. Does he come back? I mean, shit. What do you think, Smog? So, so I, I'm always pessimistic. I wish we could get Trump back on Twitter because, like I said, he's the all-time greatest. Nothing compares. Nothing compares. He kills. He kills. Uh, 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 what's his name? Soleimani, and then he tweets out an American flag, like <laughs> like low res American. American flag. Yeah. How awesome is this? Like you know, we're in the presence of greatness. Yeah. Um, my guess is 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 a mix. Is I bet he would tweet one more time and it'll be like, join me on Truth Social. Yeah. And a link. That's my bet. And that's my. It. That's my. That's bet. what you guys think is going to happen. He, he tweets once and it's a troll, and a link. To true social. Yep. So the reason I'm more optimistic about this than you guys is that I think it's going to be much more difficult for Trump to gain traction than it was in 2016. And obviously as president, I think that announcement that he had as big as it was in the conservative community, it didn't have the same resonance that the, the trip down the escalator had, for example. Right. It didn't have the sort of omnipresent coverage. In fact, Fox even cut away mid speech. So he's going to have to fight for to be a center of this conversation in a way that he never had to do from the moment he entered politics. Yeah, but the difference is now he's got a movement behind him. Like then he was but trying, aren't you trying to build to, it. But aren't you trying to build? He might not need it. Maybe not. You know, he might not. He might just need 30% of the Republican primary electorate if you've got, 
you know, 10 other people in the race. It's a good theory. And, you know, he's built up his own ecosystem. He's got a massive email list. He can communicate directly with his supporters that way. He doesn't actually need to. Like, I get what you're saying. And it, it is a huge megaphone for him. But he's got his other other ways of talking to his supporters every day, for sure. It's interesting. And it does silo off the rest of the world in a lot of ways in in how he has been communicating with people. Because he has been. You just, you know, maybe for half of the listeners of this program, you didn't know that. Yeah. Because, you know, you're not on his list or you're not on whatever. Uh, so, yeah, it's fat. it'd be interesting to watch. But right? I think all the journalists who think, like, his tweets are violence and, um, you know, don't want him to be back on the platform. Do they think? I don't think they really think that. Though. Of course not. But I mean, in a Republican presidential primary, when he starts attacking his opponents, that's or, what they want. They want that, and they will write about it. They want the violence. Of course. They, anytime you've got a Republican on Republican violence, you want it. Oh yes, that's they what do. they want. And he's, there's no nobody who's done it better. So, but but interestingly, and I think this is sort of related. You recall how last week we talked about how the senatorial committee was fundraising off of Herschel Walker. Yeah. Yep, NRSC. Right? Uh, and that's Rick Scott's NRSC. And our concern was, because the Walker campaign had personally talked to us about this, was that there were a whole bunch of people who were donating to these emails that had go out on behalf of the NRSC saying that they were going, all the money's going to the Georgia Senate race. Uh, and then you looked at the splits, and it was like 99 to 1 NRSC to Herschel in terms of the proceeds. Right. And so we advised folks, and it's great to see minions even pointing it out. They're like, everybody, give if you want to get involved, give directly to Herschel. Right. Yeah. Directly to Herschel. Every penny goes right to the fight. Right. So we noticed a little change of behavior. Do you think it got better? No. No. It got worse. It got a lot worse. So what they did is now it's 98% NRSC, 1% Herschel, and 1% Rick Scott. Oh, wow. Would you look at that? Duncan, for those of us uh, who are not esteemed uh, critics within the low-dollar digital world, explain why somebody would add themselves to that flow. To get all the data. To get all the data. And it's like, look, this is the end of Rick Scott's tenure at the NRSC. In, in my opinion, it's kind of a smash-and-grab operation right at the end to get whatever you can as you're going out the door. I mean, look... I don't have a perfect answer on this. I've 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 talked about it a little bit on on Twitter. I think we need some rules for the road on this. And you know, I I, I don't agree with the way that they've done things over at the committee in this arrangement. And I think we need to bring some people on the show here at some point in December, January, whatever, and like talk about like, all right, how do we make this better? You know what? Like I how do we make it better not just for campaigns, but also for like the small dollar donors who are the backbone of this community, the backbone of our movement, like how do we treat them better? Yep. And and I I don't like these like, uh, you know, rules of the road and best practices. I don't think it needs to be overly complex. It's like if you're using someone's name to fundraise in this example, it's like, you know, help Herschel Walker where, you know, Rick Scott, the reason, and, and as Duncan said, the reason he did this is because he wants to harvest the data of right. anyone who don't who donates thinking I'm helping Herschel when Herschel's getting one percent of it. Rick Scott wants to collect your phone number, your email address, because like you said, smash and grab. He's on his way out. Making a simple rule of at least fifty one percent goes to the candidate who is named. Yeah. I think that's at least. so simple. But I think it also and, and this is another little peek behind the curtain. I think it's important for, for people um, you know, when they get these emails and things like that. Like so there's a difference between like house file. Right. Like, so the NRSC has a house file of previous donors, people who've signed up for the email list, all of that sort of stuff. And they send an email to that house file. Now, if you are not sending to the house file and you're doing prospecting, prospecting okay. you know, you're renting an email list or something like that, I get the arrangement where you're not going to be able to do a 50 50 split with the candidate. Because you have you, all the costs. You're incurring all of the costs. Sure. Right. And so in that prospecting, you're incurring that cost that you need to cover. So whatever you're doing for the candidate, good on you. But here's the thing. The candidate could be doing that prospecting. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, for themselves. Right. You know, like with 100 percent of the proceeds. Right. Like what is what is the actual argument for the NRSC who wants to go buy TV ads that are going to cost them four or five, six times what a candidate rate is yep. to be doing that prospecting instead of the campaign? 
And that's where my head's at on this whole, like we need to figure out like whose role and whose responsibility, what is in this ecosystem. And some people are choosing to not make the responsible decision. Yeah, it's just, we're not in a place where small dollar donors are happy about anything that's gone on here. Right. So you've got to work as a party to figure out how everyone can be comfortable going forward or we're not going to have small dollar donors. And maintain their trust because like on the face of that, Rick Scott being like, okay, well, I'm going to throw in 1% so I can harvest the data. I mean, that just is like, it's just such a scummy move. Just, just like because I'm trying, like if you're a small dollar donor, you're just trying to help Herschel out. Yeah. And this guy's like, I can see as an opportunity to harvest your email address and your address and your phone number. It's like, dude, we need to win this Senate seat. Just look, help Herschel win right your job is to help Herschel win why are you like worried about harvesting shit on your way out? another reminder go to teamherschel.com donate bingo exactly so I, let me just put a capstone on this piece of the conversation by saying I got a call over the weekend from a, a high dollar donor this person does a lot a lot for the Republican Party and is also networked with a whole bunch of other people who do tons like they they really put their back into it they're true believers we would be nowhere without them and they were like, look, we get it. We're not like Rick Scott fans either. And we understand that this thing didn't work out. But like, can you guys just drop it? Can you just just not talk about this anymore? And the point that I made to them is, look, we are the authors of Don't Take the Bait, right? This program. Mm-hmm. It, we're the authors of Don't Take the Bait. This is not bait. When you get to the end of an election cycle, if you are not critically examining what went wrong and why you lost and all the things that need to be changed in order to improve your product going forward, then don't, I mean, if you're, you're not interested, you're Those doomed to repeat it. Fit, and you need, it. you need people like us to tell you this because no one on the, on the liberal corporate media is going to write down how Republicans can improve Absolutely not. their game. No, right. They're not interested in it. Right. Right. But those of us who work in it, who see this stuff every day, in my view, have an obligation I think so. to talk about. If you don't, if look, if I gave zero shits about whether or not Republicans were ever elected to any office again, it would be so easy for me to just say like, oh, everybody did a great job. You know, I, I, look, there, there is no benefit financial or otherwise for someone who's involved at the level that we are in Republican politics to try to point a finger and say this went wrong mm-hmm. because the, the benefits are all for people who just like slap people on the back, tell them it's going great, you know, and then wait for their next contract. Yep. I don't give a shit if I ever have another contract. What I'm more interested in is that we actually improve this product to a point where we don't have people like our, like, like all of our listeners, mm. right? All of the minions who just busted their asses for three years to try to get to a place where we could actually retake majorities and we come up short and then to tell them like well i guess there's just more democrats that's not the answer nope you got to answer those folks that's not the answer they deserve the answers they deserve the real answers and so i mean i I think in part that's why you listen to the program right is because we're just going to tell people how it is now does that mean a year from now that i'm going to be railing away on republicans who i i disagree with no i don't i mean I disagree with Republicans all the time. I don't give a shit when we're in the process of formulating the message and we're getting actual missiles in the air here mm-hmm. in terms of in a political context in, in fighting against Democrats. What I care deeply about is that we correct the wrongs and the things that went terribly wrong in 2022. Yes. So anyway, that's uh, sorry for the preachy deal. No, I just, it's good. Folks know, should know why. That, that's part of it. So let's talk about this White House for a minute. You recall Ron Klain, Klain to fame. Yeah. yeah. You recall when he came into the White House, he was sort of an establishment Democrat. Yeah. Right? He's been around forever, as all as all White House Democrats are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Small, small, small bench. Fossils. Small bench. They, they've been around forever. Like every one of these people works in like some C4 somewhere where they promote the Democratic half, message. Half and then, this administration is like left-wing dark money groups. Like, uh, what's her name? The former uh, Jen Psaki. She was a left-wing yeah. group. All of them. Well, near Tandon and the rest of them, all right? Them. So that's where Klain is sort of at the center hub of all this stuff. And so your more progressive activists, when this administration was first formed, were very wary of Ron Klain because he'd been a, he's a Clinton guy, right? I mean, he's a Obama guy. Like he's yeah, yeah, yeah. There from the beginning. They've changed their tune. Yeah. There was a lot of talk going to the election that for sure Ron Klain was going to be fired, right? Right. 
But now that they have sort of overperformed expectations in some way, guess who's coming to the rescue? Wow. Progressives. According yeah. to Politico, progressives, once skeptical of Biden, rally around his chief of staff. So funny. Amazing, right? But it also tells you everything you need to know. You'll recall like back in 2021 when there was a, a like a center-left, center-right partnership on something like infrastructure, for example, or the CHIPS bill, for example, or things that are like not inherently liberal, not in, in, inherently conservative. If you're, if you're super conservative, you think you should do absolutely nothing on this stuff, which I you know personally may identify with, but there is a constituency for it in the center of the electorate. Right. Ron Klain was amongst the Democrats in the Biden White House who are arguing with President Biden to side with the squad over Nancy Pelosi to say, like, unless you do BBB, which was the three trillion dollar spending program that they got a piece of, um, we should do nothing. Right. And so she, for four months, was basically forced to sit on her hands and not pass the consensus legislation to try to force liberals into a four trillion dollar spending bill. Right. And Ron Klain was sort of the author of that. Progressives understood that. Now they're coming to his defense. And, and that's the thing is like, you, you know, you bring up the squad. They've been calling the shots so much because Joe Biden is I mean, everyone knows he's not all the way there. They see this as an opportunity. They're like, okay, well, the, the throne is empty, so we can start calling the shots around here. And you've seen they have been. Like, uh, what's her name? When when the rent moratorium was up, uh, she was trying to sleep out on the on the front steps. Talib? To, uh, no, 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 it wasn't Talib. Um, oh my gosh, I, I can't remember. No, so, I know, I know. No, Cory Bush. Cory yeah. Bush. And and what happens? The White House, who originally was like, we're not going to, you know, uh, back down. We'll let the moratorium pass. She goes and sleeps on some steps. Pulls her little stunt, and the White House is like, okay, fine. You know, we are pushed around that easily. We're going for a rent moratorium. And, and then federal judges is like, absolutely fucking not. Yeah. You know, like, totally. like they're a, doing basically anything the squad wants until a judge is like, no, dude, this is illegal. They're not just listening to those radical members of Congress. They're also, like, inviting lunatics into the White House <laughs> to give their thoughts on yeah. what, the, what the administration should do. Do you remember Ron Klain had, like, the Mueller she wrote Twitter account oh over and God. like the yeah. Brooklyn Defiant guy and all, all these all lunatics. the worst people on Twitter right. rolled up and we're like, here's, here's our agenda. Yes. <laughs> and you see elements. Here's what you're going to be doing. You've seen elements in a lesser degree in previous administrations. Like the Trump administration is a perfect example of where you had a president who had some extremely specific views of what should happen on things like immigration, mm -hmm. right? Trade, mm -hmm. things like that. But there was a whole bunch that he, you know, could care less about. And so there were activist organizations that sort of positioned themselves in a way where they could sort of amplify that. And they were super happy with the the, the way that that White House was prioritizing immigration or whatever, because it gave them a voice on things like, you know, what was the, the let them out of jail thing? Oh, uh, uh, a first step. Criminal, criminal. First step yeah, act. That's yeah. it. First step act. Right. So, I mean, a perfect thing if, if like if, if Donald Trump was super invested in that issue, there's no chance that thing would have happened. Right. N zero. Right. right? But the fact that it was like something he kind of didn't care about, they just sort of got together and, and pushed it over the finish line. You see this happening now with entirety of policy out of this White House. And that they don't actually give a shit about anything. They just basically crowdsource. And this, this chief of staff enables it. They crowdsource whatever like is popular on Twitter amongst progressive activists. Yeah, it is the most fascinating. And we've talked about this a lot on the show, but it is the most fascinating thing that Joe Biden got elected president of the United States by ignoring Twitter. Yeah. And now his entire campaign is captured by its sentiment. <laughs> that's wild. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> All right. So let's get off politics for a minute. Uh, fellas, this disappointed me. There's a new new poll and McDaniel finds these things on study finds, mm -hmm. uh, which I've never encountered in the natural life, but it's always in our documents. They really so. come up with some wild polls. Yeah. So this poll, it, it shows that one in three people have never built a snowman. And one in four people... Haven't had hot chocolate. That is, I saw that and I was just stunned. So does that mean, I mean. How? I don't know. How? I guess it, what my initial takeaway was that, you know, you've got maybe two thirds of the population that live in states that don't snow. But like you'd think you'd travel at once some in a while, point. Right? I mean, you've got family up north. Or I mean, how have like you that? not had hot chocolate? The hot chocolate thing is baffling. Baffling. If you're, I mean, you've never had a cold night in front of a fire. Isn't it child abuse if you don't do that? I mean, 
makes no sense. And that's to the thing me. is, like, even even like uh, Las Vegas is a prime example. Like, it's a desert. Yes, it's hot, but in the winter months at night, it's cold as hell. Oh yeah, you're gonna have that hot chocolate. I just don't get like. So they put they put more more behind this because my initial thought was again that people didn't live in snowy areas. More than half of the poll, fifty five percent, regularly experience snow where they live, and they still don't bit <sighs> don't build the snowman. Unreal. It's child abuse. It is. It. You gotta do it. It's child abuse. So and look at. I, I don't know how everybody's going to spend their holidays, but if you get some snow, get the kids out in the backyard, 100%. right? They, they'll remember that forever. The yeah. good times out there. Put down the video games, for Christ's sakes. And I love video games. Uh, all right, so I've loved this next topic. Yes. Because, one, it'll throw you into a little bit of a rage. Yes. But, two, it, it, it may be a precursor of some things to come, as we've discussed. The Senate Judiciary Panel to review the 2014 Supreme Court leak claim. So this is according to Axios, but the real story was in the New York Times yes. over the weekend that said that um, they had some activist basically claims that Justice Alito had dinner with one of their donors who said uh, or implied somehow that he was going to make a ruling on their behalf on the Hobby Lobby case. Big case. Big social conservative case, yeah, right? Re- religious liberty, yeah. Big religious liberty case. Uh, and so this person then operated as though they were going to win, and so they recalibrated their strategy, what have you. Um, the story, and I read it, was basically a third-hand representation with all of the first-hand people denying that it ever happened. Right, it's, it's a giant game of telephone where somebody said they heard from somebody who heard from somebody, and then that person's like, no, that never happened. They're like, all right, well, we'll write it anyway. <laughs> it, it was like, so so, so my brother's girlfriend uh, heard this from her cousin's hairdresser uh, who, who heard it from the waiter at a restaurant. But everyone who was there denies it. They're like, no, that never happened. And the New York Times is like, yes, we will print this. So you may ask yourself, why is that relevant? Yeah, 2014 Supreme Court leak. I feel like... Isn't there mm, something I that I feel happened? like there was one that was much more recent than that. Yeah. I think so, too. But you know what's funny about that leak? Is that there? Was, they said they were going to do an internal investigation of it. I haven't heard anything about that no, since. No, The one thing I didn't see was that the Senate Judiciary C- Committee Chairman, now Dick Durbin... Yeah is now interested in the 2014 leak. Right. And 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 when we discussed this uh, before we started recording, you know, my thought was, because I sort of got interested. I was like, oh, that's interesting. The media is talking about how devastating, you know, these leaks can be to confidence in the Supreme Court. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I don't know exactly how this is going to go down, but like, I can only think of one reason why they would be writing about a 2014 Supreme Court leak, and that is we're about to find out who did the Dobbs leak. That's it. And it was like Sotomayor. Right. That's what this is about. And they want to and they want to muddy the water. They yes. want to muddy the water. And be like, exactly look, it's, it. it's six of one half dozen the other. Look, this stuff happens. It's bad, but look. Though but many people are saying Alito yeah. did this too. Right. But if ever you worried just for a moment that Democrats use the government for their purpose, political purposes only, this is it. Prime example. Right. right. Somehow you have the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee announcing that they're reviewing, quote unquote, serious allegations, as according to Axios, about the New York Times report of this 2014 situation. Um, Nowhere do they discuss the 2020 leak of the Dobbs decision that was 8,000 times more of a big deal than whatever. We didn't even know, by the way, by the way, I just say none of us knew that there was any allegation whatsoever in 2014 over the Hobby yeah. Lobby. Of league. course not. On the 2020, it was printed in every newspaper in the English-speaking That's world. It. Right. But and no concern over that. And, no. And the thing is because, to me, it's very clear why that leak occurred, is it was very clearly something from the left to get their folks out there and try to intimidate these justices. They're like, okay, we know if we leak this, we've got those nutjob left-wing, dark-wing groups like We Demand Justice – who are going to hit the streets and and intimidate. Yeah. And they did exactly that. You you had a Democrat try to assassinate Justice Kavanaugh. They this is why they leaked it. This is why they leaked it. And and anyway, so keep your eye on that. I'm fascinated to see how this I think you're right, Duncan. I yeah. think what happens is that this is a precursor to try to get everybody's attention on Justice Alito. Yeah. Before we find out that it's like a you know, a liberal, uh, yeah, a, cler- a, a clerk for you know Sotomayor or somebody leaked it to the New York Times or yep. whatever. Yep, a total end around. It's a PR 
maneuver right. that you get in politics. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's get off uh, the politics for a second. You, you recall, remember we did the fishing cheating scandal? Yeah, where they were putting like the lead weights or something inside in the, the walleye. Fish. Yeah. Yeah. So it turns out the professional cornhole has a cheating scandal. So for those of you who don't know what cornhole is, it's the game where you have the two boards that are set up, I don't know, roughly like 25 feet apart, and you throw bean bags to try to get in the hole. Yeah. yeah. You get it on the board, you get it one point, you get it in the hole, you get three points, whatever. Yeah. It's basically if you've been tailgating in the past 20 years, you see the setup. That's oh, yeah. it. That's it. But there's a professional league, and I don't know if you guys have seen this on uh, ESPN, but I have. Know, in super so- slow sports times, it's actually sort of interesting. I, I have watched it like around the 4th of July and stuff. Yeah. It's nice. Are, are these dudes like sick at it? Like They're every time? sick, dude. Totally and, sick. And That's I think, wild. I think like their big sponsor is Johnsonville Brats. Yeah, yeah. It always makes me super hungry to go out and grill. Totally. Yeah. It's great. And they do some celebrity. I like I saw Jay Cutler out there throwing the bags, you know? Well, anyway, they got a problem now because a professional cornhole, this is according to the New York Post, a professional cornhole uh, has been rocked by controversy after a top ranked team was accused of using illegal bean bags at the 2022 American Cornhole World Championships in August. Wow. It's bag gate, they call it. The now infamous incident began when uh, Devin Harbaugh complained that a rival opponent, Mark Richards and Philip Lopez, were using bags that were smaller than the regulation during the finals, uh, which were all broadcast live on ESPN. So they used a smaller bag so it could get into the hole easier. This is, yeah. what, this is what it says. Officials gathered to inspect Richards and Lopez's bean bags and confirmed that they were, in fact, not regulation size. Uh, it, I have a bunch of questions. Yeah. I understand that this is something that's in its infancy, right? Like professional cornhole has probably not been rocked by scandal before. Yeah. If it has, it's probably nothing to do with the game. It's the <laughs> participants. But... Uh, how is it that you allow the teams to use their to own, use their own bags. bags? Yeah. It's like letting Tom Brady show up with his own football. We oh, saw how that went. Oh, yeah. Thing. Yeah. So yeah. Th- it gets even better. The story gets even better. I, I, yeah. Outstanding did, work, McDaniel. This is wild. This, this is wild. Yeah. Uh, uh, it says ESPN's cornhole color commentator Mark Pryor remarked that that's going to create some drama. In response, Lopez and Richards requested, you know, the two who, who, who they found their bags. Who accused them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, requested that their opponent's bags also be inspected. Their bags were also found to be not compliant. So both unbelievable. The guy who complained about it also was using the wrong size bag. It's like the Spider-Man meme of cheating. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's pointing yeah. at everyone. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> it's a staple at tailgates and barbecues. And it rapidly evolved, according to the New York Post, uh, from a simple yard game. But it's now got professional athletes and sponsors. And it gets even bigger. There are currently 155,000 members of what they call the ACL. That's the professional. Uh, American Cornhole League. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's up from 30,000 members. So this thing is growing uh, hand over fist. I'm all for it because it seems like just another excuse to get together with your buddies and drink. Oh, it's it's, it's like gr- I'm practicing. Yeah. It's just great. Practicing. But they have real money. There's a $250,000 of winnings and sponsorship deals from the endorsements. Wow. So, the, I mean, look, you got to keep an eye on the bags. Yeah. There needs to be scholarships. Like, imagine, yeah, my kid, he's good at cornhole. Do you think they just went through college? Yeah, <laughs> See, I put him through college on the on the cornhole. So, do you think like maybe a, a way of handling is you have to feel each other's bags before you play? Oh my god, it's a family show. <laughs> what? What? No, I mean, look, you raise a good point. <laughs> All right, so uh, we've talked a little bit about the the uh, rail situation. Yeah, yeah. And I know, Smug, you're sort of into this, right? The largest U.S. rail labor union votes against contract raising a strike possibility. I mean, for those of us in the Midwest, we could kind of give two shits, although, you know, maybe freight and whatnot oh, yeah. become, I mean, becomes a big problem. Look, it'll impact all the supply chains. That's the real big issue. But it turns out, according to Reuters, workers at the largest U.S. rail union voted against a tentative contract deal reached in September, raising the possibility of a strike. In the upcoming weeks, that could cause significant damage to the U.S. economy. Interesting, right? I always think about rail. I think about like Amtrak. Yeah. That's not what we're dealing with. Like the Acela Corridor. Which, for my money, it's... Like Jernos complaining about Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's that's not really what this is. So much of of goods in this country are transported by rail. It's it's efficient. It works. uh, This is is the key takeaway from this. So if these labor unions have their way... And they cripple the country. It says uh, a rail shutdown could freeze almost 30% 
of U.S. cargo shipments by weight. 30 percent? Yeah. Cost the American economy as much as $2 billion per day and unleash a cascade of transport woes affecting U.S. energy, agricultural, manufacturing, healthcare, and retail sector. Wow. Because the thing is that, like, everything, everything that's used in every industry is transported by rail. So, like, if, if you're manufacturing goods and services, your raw materials, they're getting there by rail. Uh, for energy, like, oil is transported across this country by rail. Like, so much of it depends on it. And, and the, the problem is that these unions are using that fact to their advantage of being like, okay, well, listen, we'll shut down the country. We'll, we'll screw the economy if you don't pay. Well, Lord knows you can't uh, transport oil by pipeline in this country right? with the Biden administration. Right? That is a problem. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, it turns out Foldy's hardest hit by this next story. Uh, you recall Matthew Foldy, our resident uh, uh, vegetarian. He's a vegan. He, he he always says vegetarian. He tries to clarify, but it's like a... What difference it, is it? It's make, a right? terrible decision, either way. I, I don't know what it is, but it turns out Beyond Meat is struggling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For good reason, because Beyond Meat sucks. But anyway, the plant-based meat uh, has big worries. This is according to the New York Times. Uh, it's lost some of its sizzle. Its stock has uh, slumped nearly 83%. I mean, that's bad. Whoa. That's rough. That is big deal. Um, the company had expected to rise as much as 33% this year. It is now likely only minor growth. McDonald's concluded a pilot of the McPlant Burger. <laughs> I can't yeah. even imagine. Yeah. Made with Beyond Meat Patty this year with no plans to put it on the menu. Yeah. <laughs> So in October, the company said it was laying off 200 people, 19% of its workforce. Oof. And, and the thing is, oh no, is uh, there was so much hype behind this company. Like for some reason, there's just this weird obsession with the left of being like, we will force everyone to eat either bugs or like <laughs> in a lab, chemicals will process something that you will chew on. Yeah. Where it's just like they thought this is gonna work, but <laughs> why would anyone be like? You know what? I could have a burger or I could have lab-grown chemicals right. placed between two pieces of bread. I think I'm going to go for the chemicals. Absolutely not. You know? Nobody goes that. No Nobody one. does that. But that's what they do now. It was hilarious. You remember uh, uh, one of the executives at Beyond Meat a couple months ago lost his job because he, like, attacked some dude and, like, bit a piece off him? Oh, yeah. Remember, we covered <laughs> that. We covered that. It's like from the top down, they know you want the real thing. He was... <laughs> <laughs> It's totally true. But it turns out all this stuff is having a tough time. Cultured meat gets a green light from the United States uh, Food and Drug Administration. This is according to ZM Science. Uh, some people swear by it. Others swear off of it. Both groups were keen to tell the other why it uh, should change its ways. I, I don't know that I really understand exactly what's happening here, but what, cultured meat apparently is now the way that we got to... I don't even know what that is. Uh, what is culture? So, so, so this is from, and I mean, this just sounds like the opening of a horror movie. Yeah. Where then something really terrible goes wrong. It says, uh, cultured meat is produced from seed cells that are isolated from living animals. These cells are then housed and fed inside bioreactors to divide and mature into the desired type of tissue. Growing meat in this way is extremely expensive <laughs> as of now. And although we don't yet have exact figures, it's likely several times more expensive than growing meat on a farm. I mean, like, this is basically, this is why the left clings to it, because they're like, oh, something that makes everything more expensive for people and and accomplishes less than we originally <laughs> had. I Sign me up. Sign me they're like, up. this is our energy policy already. <laughs> why don't we just force everyone to eat cultured meat? It's just like, like quote unquote, progress. Yeah, yeah. They're right? like, I, I think it's a good idea. Like, the description of, like, they find a seed cell and they put it in a bioreactor. Dude, the animals are on the farm. Just right. the animals know they don't need bioreactors. However, Coach. one thing I would say, devil's advocate on this is, I mean, especially when it comes to steaks and things like that, the big trend now is like, you know, American Wagyu or the special grade of Japanese oh, Wagyu. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it's interesting that maybe you could culture meat like the most delicious steak in. Well, history by like getting a specific type of seed cell from like the tastiest cow on planet earth but what are the chances that you end up getting like stage four cancer out of that stuff yeah right. probably thing. pretty it's high like, is there's gonna be like sometime in the future that some alien's gonna bust out of someone's stomach because they had this stuff. yeah <laughs> as opposed to like if we want the perfect like steak 
find the best cows. It's, it's throughout history, you know, our, our humans and agriculture, you find the best breeds, you make some, and you end up with a great result. You know, we got chickens that are like 40 pounds of breast on one chicken at this point. Right. And that's how we get, you know, uh, our chicken sandwiches. But like the idea to me of like, there are dudes in like, you know, lab coats right. with test tubes being <laughs> like, okay, time to make food. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, absolutely. Not. I'm not into it. I'm not into it. And you shouldn't be either. One thing you should be into, though, is our Thanksgiving spectacular. Yes. That's coming up next. You're going to get that on Thanksgiving Day. It's coming to you live and in person. I suggest you listen to it before you start your festivities because it really sets the tone. 100 percent. 100 percent. We're more proud of that than anything else. It, it's a tradition at this point. You know, so many folks listen to it. It's our third annual, I can't believe it, third annual Thanksgiving episode. Incredible. Incredible. I think we've done it, and I think we're going to prepare you on Thursday. Let's have at it, fellas. Yeah. Well, outstanding work, gentlemen. Uh, I, if I can say so myself, absolute banger of an episode. Thank you so much to the RJC for having us. Thank you so much to our listeners. So, Until Thanksgiving, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.